podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Double Century on the 99.94 Podcast Network. On the 20th of July, 1909, a group of important-looking men from three countries were huddled together for a meeting at Lord's. The ICC had been formed just over a month ago. This was their first meeting since, and they're planning their first ever FTP, Future Tours program, and a World Cup. The chair of the meeting is Lord Harris. The MCC is represented by Lord Hawke, Australia by Les Poitivan, and Peter McAllister. South Africa by Shrimp, Lucian Gore, or Levison Gower if you're reading it phonetically, and a gold tycoon called Abe Bailey. Bailey isn't officially part of the South African Cricket Association. He's there because he has been granted the permission to express the views of this association. If you don't understand what that means, it's that he's so rich, his words mean as much as the boards. He is, at this point, one of the most wealthy people on the planet. He's what they used to call a Rand Lord, super rich people who control mining in South Africa before the wars. By 1936, his wealth will be estimated at £10 million. And what did he use that for? Well, this man bought South Africa their first test victory, built the ICC, and through his own racism, kept cricket from growing. This season is about rich people who decided they would make cricket better, more about them, or sometimes both. Maybe they wanted to profit from them or just insert themselves in an 11 they had no right to be in. But they had the money, and cricket was purchased by them for their own wants and needs. Welcome to the people who bought cricket. This episode is about Abe Bailey, a gold tycoon who crossed the equator over a hundred times and who bought South Africa's way into the upper echelons of cricket. Abe Bailey was born in South Africa in 1864. He lost his mother at seven and was sent off to study in England soon afterwards. This is when his affinity towards England really began. By 17, he was living back in South Africa. In 1886, he moved to Barberton in pursuit of gold mines. In 1894, he was heading a bunch of them as the head of the Bailey Group. He soon became one of the richest men in the country and developed business ties with then-Prime Minister Cecil John Rhodes. It was Rhodes who mentored Bailey to join politics. Bailey was so devoted to Rhodes that he named his daughter Cecil and his son John. Yes, he named his daughter after his male friend. Bailey was part of the Rhodes Reform Committee, linked to the notorious Jameson Raid. He originally got a jail sentence, but eventually got away with a fine. He then would go on to fight in the Boer War. When Rhodes died in 1902, Bailey immediately bought his ranch in Rhodesdale. He contested the elections from Rhodes' former seat, Barclay East, and won unopposed. These attempts to imitate Rhodes did not elude, well, anyone. Vanity Fair magazine labelled Bailey Rhodes II, and he did not object to that. By then, he had been active in several sports. He was one of the best racehorse breeders in South Africa, and he had won both middle and heavyweight boxing contests. He was a fox hunter and a pheasant shooter as well. And of course, he played cricket. He was a medium-paced bowler who played for Transvaal in South Africa and the MCC in England. Three of his matches for Transvaal got first-class status. In those, he took 11 wickets at an average of 18.27. Considering the era he was bowling, that suggests he was handy, but maybe not as sensational as those numbers sound today. And his cricket career did not continue, but Bailey's wealth had helped him gain a position of power within the South African game. He was a staunch imperialist, and over the years, he would travel between South Africa and England a lot of times. In fact, he crossed the equator on 104 occasions, probably more than almost anyone else alive. 
It was his dream to establish his beloved South Africa in a place of prominence in Britain. Travelling between the two countries helped him realise that to impress Britain, South Africa really had to rise in the British game. The seeds had probably been sown in his own mind when he was watching 11 cricketers thrash 22 people from Johannesburg in 1888-89. He told Bernard Tancred, the best South African batter of that period, we must set ourselves to beat the Englishman on equal terms. And these were not just the empty words of a 24-year-old. Bailey appointed the legendary English bowler George Lohman as Transvaal coach. If you're not aware of George Lohman, he's the test bowler with the lowest bowling average ever. He also employed Frank Mitchell, who would be a future South African test captain. In 1902-03, the Australian board was reluctant to send a team to South Africa. They just didn't see it as that worthwhile. They also weren't that confident about the money. Bailey assured them £2,000 for a one-month trip. They came directly from England, got off the boat and played. Such was the allure of that kind of money. In 1907, some South African cricketers wanted to pull out of the tour to England on financial grounds. Bailey immediately paid them £80 each. And because of that, South Africa played Test Cricket in England for the first time. And neither of those tours happened without Bailey. Until then, Test Cricket had been a two-way thing between England and Australia. South Africa were playing, but not everyone even considered them proper Test matches, and they hadn't played overseas yet. Now, with South Africa improving, in some ways thanks to Bailey, he sent South Africa to England. They lost one of the three Test matches and drew the other two, And of the 27 first-class matches, they won 17 and lost four. The leg spinners Swartz, Faulkner, Vogler and White used their new invention to throttle England in their own land. The English cricket fraternity liked the South Africans, and back then, British approval meant pretty much everything. So Bailey saw his chance. And on the 30th of November that year, he wrote a letter to the MCC secretary, Francis Lacey, and there were two main talking points. He wanted to form a committee of the three test-playing nations and an imperial contest featuring all three of them in 1909. Bailey knew that if the MCC agreed, South Africa would no longer be the third wheel, the outsider in an Ashes plus one universe. They would appear in the same committee as England and Australia and play in the same tournament. His plan was to buy prestige for South Africa, and he certainly had the money for that. The tournament actually didn't happen in 1909 because there was an Ashes plan for that year already. And also, while England was really impressed by Bailey's money, it didn't seem to win over the Australians in the same way. But Bailey was not going to give up. In that same 1909 summer, with an Ashes test going on, a meeting was held at Lord's. This was attended by Lord Harris and Lord Litchfield of the MCC, Leslie Poitivan of Australia, Shrimp Lucian Corr, and G.W. Hilliard of South Africa. The meeting was chaired by Lord Chesterfield. Just by the amount of lords there, you get the idea. There's a few heavy hitters. And these people helped form the committee that Bailey wanted to. They called it the Imperial Cricket Conference, or as you now know it, the ICC. And you had to be part of the British Empire to become a member. And if you're wondering how long that name stuck around, it wasn't until 1965 that it became the International Cricket Conference. And in 1989, finally, the International Cricket Council that we have today. And Bailey arrived for the first meeting just over a month later, and he got his triangular tournament approved for 1912. At first sight, there doesn't actually appear to be that much wrong with this. But Bailey was not merely a cricket patron, but also a staunch imperialist. For instance, the USA were a strong team back then. In 1908, the gentlemen of Philadelphia had an excellent tour of England. Their superstar Bart King is often credited with making swing bowling mainstream, and he was so respected that an English county wanted him to marry a local widow and settle down and play with them. 
just on basic talent, you would have to say that the USA were probably comparable to the South Africans as well. So the committee should have at least had four members, not three. And even today, there is no real clear explanation to the USA's non-inclusion. The MCC website cites two reasons. The gentlemen of Philadelphia was not a representative team of the USA, which of course is true, but they could have played as a USA team. And that they sometimes fielded cricketers from other nations, like Ranji Horden. Well, if we go by that logic, the white cricketers were not a representative team of South Africa either. They were only a fifth of the population. But even if you look outside of that, by 1909, six cricketers had already played tests for two different nations. England had already used an Indian player as well. In reality, Bailey had no intention of spreading cricket beyond the British Empire. And he had the money, and the USA were not even invited to the table, let alone to cricket. And they weren't even the only good side. India were not part of this group either. The Indian Parsis had toured England twice in the 1880s. They had beaten English touring sides in the 1890s, and their annual match against the Europeans based in India was pretty much an even contest. And Ranjasinji had already been one of the best batters in England for more than a decade. But India were not invited. Although the formation of the ICC was one of the reasons that the first all-India side toured England in 1911. But again, this had little to do with cricket. It was more to do with the fact that Abe Bailey was a white supremacist. A pure racist. He believed that South Africa should not allow any native to take the place of any white man. That's a quote, by the way. And he's also fond of saying another quote for the white race being on top of the black. He would not hesitate to call the Asiatics the white ants of South Africa, destroying the foundations of our institutions and the roots of the livelihood of the white race. Again, that's a quote. I'm not making this up. This is what A. Bailey actually said out loud. So the mastermind behind the ICC would never have invited a non-white team to join. And so the ICC, the Imperial Cricket Conference, was a league of three white nations, all part of the British Empire. Many years later, Roland Bowen would call the incidents of 1909 an early illustration of the power of the South African gold in influencing policies in Britain. And by the time India and the West Indies were inducted in 1926, Bailey had moved well away from cricket. But in 1909, he was still planning his triangular tournament, cricket's first ever World Cup of sorts. The idea was that there would be four-year cycles. Each team would tour every other team once in those four years, and then there would be a triangular tournament. It's not that much different to the World Test Championship. And if you think that tournament's a disaster, you should have checked out old Abe's one. It did not go well. Partly because it was one of the wettest summers on record in England. The other problem was that the crowd showed little to no interest in Australia playing South Africa in matches. And to make things worse, Australia had sent a depleted side over after six Australian cricketers had had a row with their board. Essentially, they went on strike. And that included Victor Trumper. And even then, without half their team, they were still better than the South Africans, who were far too weak. They would lose five out of their six tests, and they would get a rain-affected draw on the other. Not long after the First World War started, After this, South African cricket really struggled. They couldn't afford to play test cricket in the same year that they had a first-class tournament. And they would not win a test match in England until 1935. And they didn't win in Australia at all. But they did continue to improve as a cricket team. But despite the fact that they had a lot of individual players, the overall success never came to them. And perhaps one reason was their cricketers weren't quite as well-rounded as perhaps cricketers from England and Australia were. And that's because... South Africa were only playing white nations. And that was, of course, by design. And while many other teams, especially after World War II, were 
quite constantly complaining about this, the ICC didn't do anything of them and allowed them to keep their test status. Despite not playing non-white teams, it took the Basil Dolivera affair really to change cricket's mind. And even then, Cricket Australia was still trying to play South Africa at home. But there's one other cricket story that I kind of glossed over before that I just want to talk about a little bit more. A. Bailey was the reason that South Africa won their first test series. He hired a London-born cricketer and rugby player called Reggie Swartz as a personal secretary. While playing for Middlesex, Swartz learned how to bowl the googly from Bernard Bosenkay, the man who made it mainstream. In Transvaal, Swartz passed this knowledge on to some of his teammates. By the time England toured South Africa in 1905-06, South Africa had an army of googly bowlers ready for them. Legendary all-rounder Aubrey Faulkner, who we've done an entire season on. Bert Vogler, yet another man who worked for A. Bailey. A batter called Gordon White, and of course, Reggie Swartz himself. Those googly bowlers helped South Africa beat England 4-1. These were the first tests, and then the first test series that they ever won. A. Bailey played cricket, and we can only assume that he loved the game. But his main interest seemed to be in getting South Africa on the world stage. And that is why he spent so much of his own money ensuring that test cricket had three nations. But he was a hate-filled man who helped South Africa grow at the expense of other nations, and ultimately, cricket itself. The gentleman's club style of our game may have been invented by the English, but A. Bailey wrote the check. Double Century is a podcast on the 99.94 network. You can download our app via the show notes or look for us on social media to see all the podcasts and audio we produce. If you prefer your podcast ad-free, you can support us on Patreon to get that version. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century on 99.94 is a podcast narrated, produced and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes and co-produces the show. Podcast Network.